B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism, scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Harold Gabrins-Zukovs. Harold, a very warm welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Good stuff, good stuff. And um, today we're going to be talking about, um, I suppose, something a little bit counterintuitive and maybe against some of the best practice which we often talk about, which is when you are a company that is entering a, a, a market where there are big established brands, you've got a complex product you can't follow the traditional process that is set out in marketing textbooks of building a brand and going through sort of cycles to, to win market share. In actual fact, in those sort of situations, those companies which try to take an orthodox approach are ones that fail. So to kick us off in terms of the conversation here, I want to give you the proxy truth, see how you respond to this, is that um, unless... Um, you know, new entrant companies with complex products take a very, very entrepreneurial approach to marketing. They simply won't succeed if they are up against bigger, more established companies. Is that something that you'd agree with? Yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you come into a new market or a new industry, or you try to fight with bigger uh, competitors, even if you are um, there for a while. Uh, yeah, you need to find ways that, you know, m maybe aren't always the best practices, what everyone is preaching you need to do to win the market. And from your experience then, um, what are coming the sort of the mistakes that a lot of um, brands make when they are entering a market? What, what, what sort of common mistakes are there in their approach? I think the most common mistake is, you know, is just like... Uh, trying trying to to when you're a new brand just trying to push it right from the beginning through the ads putting like large resources just into the ads and and hoping hoping that it will work like you know for maybe products that are easy to, uh, easy to understand and, and easy to sell in b2b then maybe it could work with, with some amount of time just spending on the best practices of ways of doing it, you know, going through those loops and trying to do that. But when your resources are limited, when you can't spend time and money on like going through the awareness stages, branding stages and things like that, that is the part where you need to need to uh, try and find the new ways how to how to do that and, and you talked there you said and, and i'm really interested to find out about those those new ways that you just referred to but just almost as a bit of a a sort of a, a, a scene setter here you're, you're talking about complex products maybe in comparison with less complex products and um, just for the you know the purposes of this discussion how would you define complex products I would say you know, like a complex product is something that has a really long sales cycle, have a lot of departments involved in selling. And for example, I have been in a company where it's all also a government involved in making a decision. Uh, so I, I, I don't think it gets any more complex. 
So it's the complexity of the the purchase decision and the buying process yeah, as much as yeah, anything else. For, yeah, for, for example, you know, when you want to sell a SaaS uh, software type of a thing, I think in a lot of cases it's easier unless it's a completely new industry or, for example, if you are selling uh, hardware like a microwave radio, it becomes a lot more complex than, you know, just buying a SaaS uh, software thing. And, and so when we're talking around, you know, c- complexity of the the, the, uh, the purchase decision, as you just referred to, I think implicit in that, that there's many different people, there's multiple audiences that you need to um, be able to engage. Can you just talk me through the approach that you take, I suppose, firstly, to map what that audience um what the audience spectrum looks like and then how you would go about prioritizing and messaging those groups yeah well the first thing yeah when you start with a new product or when you start in a new company the first thing that i do i try to understand and deep dive into the product what it is how it works and then the next thing is to understand what is the target audience for that like product what is the main person who we are selling the product to and then on top of that is to understand uh, which additional people are involved to make that decision like you know who approves the costs or the buying order who signs the agreement uh, because in some cases you know the end user and and the one who approves all of it are not the same people so it also sometimes depends on the company size you know the smaller the companies sometimes it's easier the bigger the companies there might be more teams and more decision makers involved into that Okay, cool. So we're in a, in a situation we've understood it's a complicated buying process. We've been able to map the people involved in that, their differing needs. Um, you spoke, uh, you know, probably about five minutes ago about, you know, taking new innovative ways of reaching them, bringing a product to market that doesn't simply involve putting a lot of money into advertising. Um, could you just talk me through what, what are those new innovative ways that you, you feel are really, really key? Um, yeah, well, you know, I guess, I guess the, the most important part is to do a competitor's research, you know, and look at all of the channels that they are using. And when your resources are limited is to find the channels that maybe they are under either not using or they are using, but in a ways that doesn't bring them value. So for example, what we did when I worked in a microwave company called Soft Technica, uh i found that most of the competitors used the instagram but they used it to post pictures from the events to try to hire more people into the company so for i would say non business like purposes not to earn like leads or 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 drive revenue so i basically came up with an idea uh, to use Instagram to drive leads and drive uh, revenue for a company. And we t- tested out a version where we just posted uh, pictures of microwave radios in the nature and tried targeting the engineers that set up those microwave radios. And by doing so for a uh, 
quite some time, I think up to three to four months, we started to generate leads just from posting pictures on Instagram while nobody else was doing that. So basically it was a pretty cost-effective way without spending any money uh, and generating enough attention to get some potential deals from that, which is, I think, uh, quite an interesting thing. And also one more thing was, you know, to look at an ad channel that was the easiest to target. It was like the keywords, the Google ads. And, and, uh, you know, uh, at that time there were best practices, what you should do, how much money you should spend on that channel. And the budget that I have was for the whole world was really, really small. So I went a really over complex way and targeted all of the long tail keywords, keywords with really small volume, uh, all of the keywords that big competitors wouldn't target because the volume like weren't there. And basically built a system which uh, went for small volume keywords, which also worked like really good. It increased the conversion rate quite a lot and decreased the cost because we weren't competing with the big competitors for the keywords. That, that's just really interesting. I think that the definitely the logic of going after um, low com- low competitive areas, whether that's um, key search terms, whether that's uh, low competition channels, as you just referred to in terms of Instagram, that, that makes sense. Certainly in terms of there is a... Um, a lower cost there but i suppose at the same time if you do have a low budget um taking a risk by putting money in those low competitive areas is also a little bit of a a challenge now when you were going through that decision making to target the long tail keywords to target instagram what did what did you do to build that confidence um that you were going to see a return on investment and it wasn't just going to be, yes, it was cheap, but not going to get any effectiveness? Well, with Instagram, it was more or less when I did the competitive research and I also checked like who liked those uh, posts on their channels mm. and also checked who, who was on those channels. I, I found that the target audience was using them. Maybe they weren't that active, but they were there. And and with the Google Ads, it was a bit it was a bit easier because there I tested out a few campaigns and I saw the difference. So you can quicker see the result from that. With Instagram, it was a bit more complex. Yes, it was harder to convince people, especially in the company, why we should post on Instagram proactively. But as it was a really low cost, low effort value because we've had the pictures already and it was just my time spent there so it was easier to convince everybody to test it out you know on top of the rest of the channels that we were doing mm-hmm. because so you know i what i usually do i i look at like low cost low effort things that we can do test out quickly to see are they working or not? But sometimes with organic, mm. yeah, like word quickly isn't as quickly as we would be used to when we do the advertising. 
So it takes a few months to see how it goes. I mean, I think that the the way that you've described what is an experimental approach, I think, should really um, chime with a lot of marketers, especially those who you know are, and as we all are, probably struggling when it comes to to budgets. But really, what you've also described is that there needs to be some real thought and consideration. There almost needs to be a bit of a strategy to to doing that. What do what would you suggest in terms of um, developing the right attitudes and skill sets to do that um, sort of approach within marketing? What 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 is really really needed if it's to be successful? Well, you know what is needed, you know, is you never need to think that you know how the things work because sometimes they don't work out as you want them to, and you need to be able to quickly adjust and change, you know. Because, for example, if you go in and you see that only competitors are only using these two channels to generate the value, the revenue, of course, most likely is because the people are there. But uh, if they are, if the target audience are using those channels, they are most using, most likely using more than one or more than two channels, mm-hmm. because most of us are. So you just need to find. And you need to be creative. You need to research where are they on as well and try to see uh, that maybe those channels are easier to reach, cheaper to reach, easier to find the value mm-hmm. there. So you need to be proactive. You need to research and you always need to be ready to scrap something and move on. Like you don't, you, you don't need to be afraid to fail, but you need to fail quickly and try to find the next thing to test. So that approach has helped me a lot, you know, and, and also not to not to say, oh, well, you know, nobody is using Instagram from the technical people. We found out quite quickly that actually they were. I think that that, that idea of challenging preconceptions is, is very, very important. So, I mean, you've, you've spelled out some really, I think, strong advice about how um, marketers can approach it when they don't have budget they are up against it and it's about being savvy um and seeing where you're going to get you know potential returns rather than diminishing returns of going down an established route as as a company if you know that's successful and as the company starts to build more momentum is becoming more established do you think that it's important to still take that approach or does at that point it is then better to start to switch to more traditional uh, approaches well, I think I think it's important to combine them. Like you know, with the traditional approach, it is it is very important to then switch to traditional one to to start building the brand strength. Like you know, because with the untraditional ones, uh, the brand strength sometimes might be in question. Because with the untraditional ones, you are quite often based like you are quite often in a place where it's based on how the algorithm works. Like, you know, you are, you are on, on like that side. But with the traditional ones, it's important yeah, to build awareness and, and, and to push into the, into, the, into the minds of those that maybe you couldn't reach before because uh, like the reach or, or, or the amount of the times that you have reached them wasn't that big. But I would always like to combine the traditional ones and the untraditional ones, because with the untraditional ones, you quite often can find 
uh, the growth that you need because maybe the competition is not doing that or maybe it's something very innovative that people will like. So I would combine both of them. And, and I suppose, I mean, you, you spoke about earlier in the, the, the importance of driving revenue ultimately being the, 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 the number one sort of priority. When you, um, when you, when you're taking these experimental approaches, you're targeting people on Instagram, as, as you just described there, how clearly were you able to in advance map out what that user journey would be to actually converting to revenue? Yeah, that wasn't that easy because, you know, there weren't data and you couldn't look at competitors mm -hmm. because nobody was doing that. So it wasn't that easy to predict. It was more like a hunch that it should work mm -hmm. because, you know, it was a similar channel to the Facebook that those people were using, but Facebook was already overcrowded with the competitors. So Instagram was a good alternative. So it was more a hunch uh, that we should test it out and see how it works. Like, you know, um, we kind of put a target that we want to reach. And we kind of did, mm. uh, but uh, we like, you know, we put a lot lower target than we would for any other channel, just because at that point it was harder to understand would that work, how it would work and what we would generate. But the overall target was to generate uh, revenue from that. Wonderful. Well, Harris, I've really enjoyed this uh, conversation. And I think that whilst it's, I think it's just been fascinating to hear about how um, the, the alternative approaches um, that, that can be taken. I think what really, really strikes me based on this conversation is if you are a, um, you know, a brand which is emerging within a marketplace, you're competing with very well-established competitors who are already dominating traditional channels, traditional um, keywords that you go after. In actual fact, it's really, really not. It's, it's, to be honest, it's it would it's not to be recommended to con, to try and take those traditional approaches because fundamentally you're not going to win, and actually you're going to see diminishing returns by investing in those. So, in the circumstances, unless you are prepared to actually experiment to try unorthodox approaches, you're simply going to fail. So really, if it comes down to an economic equation, it's far, far better to put something in speculatively, which might have a chance of return than to knowingly invest in a channel or an environment where really you don't have any chance of winning because of the competitiveness that you've just described and the diminishing returns that I've, I've just mentioned. Uh, so I think psychologically that's a really really important thing i think for emerging brands to get their heads around and really embrace that experimental approach that you've described yeah yeah you know and you know not yeah. being afraid to spend less you know than the best practices state because mm. a, lot, a lot of the things and a lot of the cases that i have done mm. uh to make it work was against the best practices you know uh, when you have the resources yeah. you know and when you can do that it's great you know to put in at least, uh, for example, for LinkedIn, like $100 uh, dollars or pounds per day or more. It's great when you can do that. But when you can't, you don't have to be afraid to, to just put in license and see what happens. Try to find ways that nobody has found or everyone else is saying that won't work. You know, why not to check? Yeah. Uh, maybe it works for you and, and spend as less as possible and try to find really the channels 
that that give you the return and then try to build on top of that no no i think it's a, it's a very wise um and potentially commercially astute um philosophy there so harold it's been a real real pleasure um thank you very much for joining me on the podcast thank you thank you for having me it has been a pleasure to be on it please be marketing the provocative truth is brought to you by alan agency to find out more head to alan-agency.com You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.